You're listening to another episode on the Man of Class podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cusco, founder of Man of Class, the Man of Class podcast, and is the exceptional life strategist for those men who know there's a lot more to life than just that daily grind. We're kicking off a brand new season, season three, called The Leadership Muscle. And what the leadership muscle is going to entail is all fourth quarter is going to be dedicated to leadership and how we can improve our leadership skills and learn from others so that we can become better leaders for whether it's ourselves or our community. Every day, the world tolerates less and less of traditional masculine behavior, which has driven a new standard for men to be successful. How does one evolve so that they can win in today's world? Enter Man of Class, a place to empower men to break down traditional masculinity and build the necessary skill sets, mindset, and confidence to become the men that society desperately needs. Welcome, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome back. Before we jump right into the episode, I did want to let everyone know that's listening. Thank you for taking the time to listen. This is episode 40. One thing that I had just launched is a new program. It's called the Exceptional Life Program. And the Exceptional Life Program is designed to help you define, aim, and start living that life on your terms. Now, many times that life gets in the way, things tend to get away from us, and we start living at the effect. We start living a life that other people want us to. But we know that at the end of the day, we still have this potential that's deep, deeply seated inside of us. And that's really what that program is designed to do is to identify what that deep purpose is, pull that out and start living that today so that you can, at the end of your life, not have that regret like 85% of men do. So if you're interested at all into that, head on over to manofclass.com forward slash exceptional. And if you have any questions, there's some links on there to schedule one-on-one times. Or if you just want to reach out to me, just send me an email at eric.usco at manofclass.com. The program will kick off November 2nd, and it'll go for four months. And so if you're interested, go ahead and take a look at that. But enough about that. Let's jump right into leadership. So the whole reason for season three, when we start going into so many different things, whether it's how the world is going right now, whether it was COVID, whether it was the elections, whether it's companies that are rising and falling. There's there's a lot of things going on, but you can boil a lot of that down into leadership. Now, leadership, when people think of leadership, they think, oh, it's just the, you know, it's just those select few that are in the boardroom that are making certain decisions. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think leadership, everyone displays leadership. Whether it is a leader of one, you're just leading yourself. It could be the leader of the household. It could be so many other different things that whatever you may be a leader in, church, community, uh, if maybe you're running for office, maybe you run a small team, maybe you run the large team, maybe you have a thousand people on your staff. It, It really, leadership is present in everything that we do. I really wanted to take the time to focus and double down on it because I think so many of us that are living lives kind of frustrated and not necessarily doing the things or being the types of people that we want to be or do, or we see examples of it and we think that there's a better way. And so part of that is instead of just saying or thinking, hey, I think there's a better way, it's really diving into leadership itself. Like, what are the things about leadership? And what I found out is leadership is just like a muscle, which is why I called it, you know, this season is the leadership muscle, because it's 
you can train the muscle, you know, it's just like going to the gym. If, if you train all your leadership, you know, into transparency and that's like your biceps, you could be training forever in your biceps and have great biceps and have, be a great transparent leader. But if you forget about diversity and inclusion and, um, communication skills and humbleness and clear thinking and visioning and all these other different types of skills that we'll get into in this season, then those are going to be, you're just going to just look like the meathead that, that only trains maybe his arms, but he has chicken legs. That's not the kind of leader that I think everyone wants to be. Everyone wants to be a better leader. They want to have more success, success in their life. And success really comes from how well we work out that leadership muscle. And it always starts from just like in the gym, self-awareness, right? What are the things within leadership that maybe are going well? What are the things that may be not going well? What are the things that you're seeing in your life that are going really well? Maybe it's the relationship with your spouse is going really well, but maybe on the professional side, it's not going so well, or maybe it's vice versa. Sort of taking stock and just being self-aware as far as the areas of your life that you're showing up great as a leader and maybe some areas where maybe you're not showing up great as a leader. And that's okay because that just gives us that opportunity to develop and start to hone those different types of skills. Just like if you want to get great calves in working out at the gym, the first step is saying, Ooh, my calves are a little weak. I'm going to start training them and figure out ways in order to train your calves. It's no different except in, in this series, what we're going to do is try to work on some of that give you some examples, give you some concrete examples and some stories and uh, things from whether it's my past, other people's past, different leaders that I've read up on and pulling in different folks who have had great examples, whether they were <laughs> bad examples that they turned into good examples or things that they just do very well to kind of help share those stories. And so that's kind of what the overall season is going to be. And so what I want to talk about today in this episode, episode 40, is the weak side of decisions. Now, it's very interesting because when I started getting this idea for what do I want to do for season three, and the more I started tying, you know, leadership kind of kept pulling on me. It's always a very big passion of mine that how teams work and how people connect, because really, Again, leadership is just this fancy pants term, but it's really how well do people work together? How well does the team work together? Because if there's not great leadership within the team, then leadership doesn't have to be one person that is leading from the front and then everybody else follows. You can have a team of five people and all of them are displaying leadership skills and somebody may be a little bit more, you know, may take the lead when it's something more artistic. Somebody may take the lead when it's more uh, logical or detail oriented and, and people can pass the ball on leadership, right? It's just, it's those times of leading those times where maybe, you know, more, you have a clearer thinking, you have a different perception or interpretation, or maybe they, you know, a company appoints you to a position that says now you are a leader, but it's, it's through sort of these daily things that kind of makes that up. And so when I was going through and, and reading a bunch of different things, I stumbled into some stories around Jeff Bezos. Now, I've always been fascinated by Jeff because he's, you always see those pictures online where Jeff was, it was like in the 90s or something where he wrote on a cardboard box or something, a sign and it said Amazon.com, like office or something. And 
that was at a time when nobody knew who Jeff was. Nobody knew what Amazon was. The internet was just beginning to bloom. And it was back when he was just starting to sell books. But it was funny because he now everyone knows who Jeff Bezos is. Even if you're, you don't even have anything in the business world, everyone just knows, oh, Amazon, Jeff Bezos. Like those two go go so well, you know, kind of synonymous. They, they come up and people can recognize him. But what some people may not realize is some of the things that he does. And one of the things that he shared in an interview was very profound. He said... When, when you can make a decision with analysis, you should do so. But it turns out in life that your most important decisions are always made with instinct, intuition, taste, and heart. Now, I don't know about you, but I've seen so many different times where people always pride themselves on making decisions based on logic or decisions based on facts or or um, data, right? Data-driven decisions. You hear that a lot. And although that can be great, there are going to be times where you may not have all the data. And sometimes requiring all the data can actually turn into an exercise where you run down rabbit hole after rabbit hole. And before you know it, you'll be making an indecision or right? you'd be making a decision of indecision to get more data because some people just get so hooked on that, right? They hear data-driven decisions and they almost just like fall into this trap where it's like, I have to have all the data. Like you have to go pull all the data and then it'll be a simple binary. This one provides, let's say ROI, you know, this one provides a 15% ROI and this one provides a 10% ROI. Therefore 5% more ROI go with this one. And it's not, it's not always that way, right? We're, we're getting, we're getting in a time where companies, the quicker, more nimble, the adaptable, you know, these are terms that are starting to flow out in the marketplace where companies who have those type of tendencies are going to be the ones that will survive, are going to be the ones that are going to thrive in this time. And so it's just very fascinating that Jeff has has spoken this way, right? He started out with books, like his whole, he's, I'm just going to sell books. And actually how he founded Amazon was even more interesting. He had a great um, corporate job at the time. And it was back in the 90s when the talks of the internet was starting to become a thing. And he had realized this was going to be a massive major trend. And he said, if I can build something that the internet can start to build around me, I'm going to be set for life. I'm going to be like be able to make a bigger difference. And so he, he talks about books and how there's so many different books that are constantly being started and, and people reading. And, and that was always going to be a thing. And so he really got into, OK, how can I deliver books through online? And he started small and everyone kind of knows a story of he used to package up books and and, you know, then quickly added music and then it began into electronics. And then before you know it, he anything that's a lot of people's go to, right, is I, I need something. I'm just going to go on Amazon and buy it. But he was only able to get there through being scientific, you know, and, and he says something different. Be scientific when we can be and use heart and intuition when we need to. Now, and that's and that's really profound because, again, that kind of how I deconstruct that is 
use science and use logic and use data when when they're available. But when you need to, like, don't waste the time in, you know, mining and diving and, and trying to pull up all that that data or creating data <laughs> using the heart and intuition when you need to. Now, and here's the interesting thing. Data is very easy, right? Somebody, those are very low level questions of asking. What's the data show us? Pull the data to, to tell that story. And data is very binary, right? You, you pull the data, you can see trends, you can say this trend versus that and trend. And although the interpretation can be a little different, pulling together that data is, is somewhat, it tells a story by itself. Now, where leaders, I think, get in trouble, or not in trouble, but where, where they have a harder time, and this is where the weak side of decisions comes from, is using heart and intuition. Because business for the longest time was very logic-driven, very left-brain driven. The right side of the brain and heart was never really kind of pulled into it. You know, that's why older CEOs are like, well, go with your gut. Well, it's easy to say I made this decision because I looked at the data and made this decision. It's harder to say I just had to trust my gut. And oftentimes people get ridiculed when they're using their gut, their heart, intuition, heart, whatever term that resonates best with you. But what we're finding is more and more leaders and what we're finding on the science side is actually intuition is sort of the, the people have been able to use heart and intuition to make decisions where data was lacking. And then it turned out the data supported it. And it's very fascinating to me because when we can start, you know, if you think of of once you have the data, then you can make the decision, right? It's like an if then that, you know, if this, then that. If I have all the data, then I can make the decision. Whereas heart and intuition, you almost get that early look, right? That's where the gut feel of like with Jeff, right? He looked at it and said, I have a gut feeling the Internet's going to be huge, right? This is going to be something that. At the time, it was growing, I think it was like 2,300%, you know, every single day, like it was just massively growing the different things that were, were starting to happen. He looked at that and said, logically, the data suggests that he should stick with what he's doing because he was he had a really great position. He had a very bright future within his industry. The, However, he decided to look at it and say, really, my heart is telling me, my gut, my intuition is telling me this Internet thing is going to be huge. And I think it can make a bigger difference. Right. Money aside, I think it can make a bigger difference here than what I can. Otherwise, he didn't have the data. Right. The data was just you know, it was growing. It was something massively growing, but it didn't. Nobody really knew what the Internet was going to be. No one would have ever envisioned the way things are set up today. People may have had an inkling, right? The intuition, but it was those who trusted that intuition, those that trusted their gut. And so that's really a missing skill. And it's hard, right? That's that's why you, you'll never almost see sort of a, an intuition 101 course, right? In, in all the leadership courses that people offer, it's usually, you know, clear thinking and people, you know, interpersonal skills and, and all this other stuff. But that's why so many people say, well, you just you just have to uh, be in a job, right? In order to learn how to trust your gut. It's something that it's like people just shove you out on that journey and say, <laughs> I hope you figure it out. I hope that you get to a point where you figure out what 
how to use your gut, right? How do you use your intuition? How do you tap into some of that? And it's, it's, it's a missing skill set. It's something that is a very weak side of decisions. However, when you start to allow yourself to become open to that idea, it can have so many more profound effects on it because in some ways you can actually start to see things and feel things before the data ever rolls in. Now, some people think, well, you know, I, I get that when, when I do something over and over again, and then all of a sudden I can predict how things are going to play out. That's a little different because you're still using your brain, right? I've seen this play out. Therefore, I'm going to assume, and your assume is still based on logic, right? That's not what I'm talking about. There's something deeper, right? There's something still that, that science has yet to, that we're just now getting into, which is intuition, heart, gut. Those are all t terms that people have used, but those are things where you choose to leave your job and go start a business because you just feel like it's the right thing to go do. You feel like making the decision to not lay off people and to double down and maybe use the resources differently. Maybe it's a time when instead of using those, you know, that extra profit, you reinvest it into a new area for the business that you think is going to be a big growth rather than doubling down on what you're currently doing. Right. Those are things where you may it may not be the traditional normal decision that you've got. It's going to be something else. Right. That's something else that's going to be calling you or pulling you to go do something or be something different. Now, those are, again, those are very important skill sets. And it's one of those where listening and starting to allow yourself to feel more, which is weird because, again, most of the time in leadership, it's always, think, you know, think, 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 think. Very few times do people start to say, like, how is it that you feel about this decision? People are starting to. You may notice some changing in languages because people are starting to realize that, the emotions that in the 80s, 90s, and maybe early thousands that, that people just kind of shied away from and said, well, you're stupid if you're using your emotions, right? Business isn't emotional. Business is logical, right? Business is facts and figures and charts and trends and, and data, 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 data. But in a such a fast-paced world, in order if you wait for all the data, you're going to miss out on opportunities to invest, opportunities to maybe gain market share, opportunities to maybe invest into a new technology because it's it's still early enough and then you have to make the decision, is this going to be something that maybe we're going to double down and, and do and, and be that market differentiator or am I going to watch this pitch go by, right? You're not going to have the data. No one can extrapolate out and say with any certainty, I think this is, you know, this piece of technology is going to be the winner in the space. Right. That's why so many different leaders realize the subtle difference is ideas are cheap, right? Everybody can have an idea. It's the execution behind it. It's the execution and finding the right need and, and and having whatever technology deliver that need into the customers. And so uh, that actually brings me into another topic, which is really interesting, is that the Jeff had talked about as well. He said, know the difference between focusing on your customers versus focusing on your competitors. Now, when he says difference on focusing on your customers versus your competitors, many companies get this wrong. They focus on what they think is their customers, but in reality, it's their competitors. They're focusing, they say customers, but it's really, how am I beating out my competition? 
And when you do that, you're always going to be losing that race. That's why we see videos of marathon runners or track runners where all of a sudden they look behind them and the, and the minute that they look behind them, there's doubt. That doubt triggers something in that runner. And then all of a sudden, second place turns into first place and first place turns into second place and they lose the race. Because wherever it is that your seat, you know, whatever you put your focus on is where it goes, right? So if you take your focus that is in front of you and you take that focus and, it, and you look back on your competition, now all of a sudden that's where your focus goes, that's where your energy flows, that's where your decisions are going to go. Before you know it, your customers are going to beat you. I'm sorry, your, your, comp your competitors are going to beat you. So your customers really are your North Star. And many companies, they talk this, right? There's a very big difference between talking the talk versus walking the walk. And what I have started to realize is look at who the end user really is. Because when the end user uses this, they're going to be, you know, I, again, when I think of, and, and so again, I go back to Jeff, right? When Jeff start, started Amazon, it was always about customers, right? When he said two-day shipping, and it blew everybody else out of the water. And there's like no way that you can go do this. He built the infrastructure. He built the infrastructure and he did it. Now he's got everybody addicted to same day shipping or even two hours. And it's a very interesting game change because he, he truly is focusing on the end users. And what and when you do that, here's the here's the differentiator. When you focus on your end user, the end user will always buy from you, right? Then if they oh if their always go to is as is Amazon, well now Amazon can say they're coming to me. Now me can be, you know, me as a series of warehouses and third-party vendors and everything else. Then all of a sudden everybody else can jump in and make money, but Amazon itself is making money from those other things. Right? Amazon, the company is making money every time a third-party seller is selling something. Right, because they have to take real estate on the servers. Right, they have to take inventory. Um, they have to take the real estate in the inventory. Right, it's all these different things that Amazon makes money. But if Amazon focused instead on how they make money from the third-party users and stopped caring so much on the end user, you would see Amazon crumble overnight. And so, a very interesting thing when somebody had asked him as the example, because he talked about this and they said, OK, so you just bought the Washington Post. This was a little bit ago when you bought the Washington Post. Who is who is your customer? And he said, many people think it's the advertisers. It's not. It's the actual reader. The reader is the one. The reader is the end user. If you can get the end user to always pick up the Washington Post over the New York Times, then you'll always be able to make more money because more papers are going to be sold. So you have to make it easier. You have to make it more appealing and you have to solve the needs of your readers right now. I've obviously extrapolated that. He just said something as simple as saying the, the customer is the reader, not the advertisers. But again, putting these, you know, it's, it's a lot of times not what people say, but what they do. Right. So he says that, which is very true. But look at all the things that he's done. Same thing with the Amazon. Right. Well, look at all the things that he's done. Anytime something happens, right? Oh, something showed up with Amazon and, and it was defective or, you know, I, I didn't get this in time. Don't worry about it. We'll ship you a new one. Don't worry about it. Send it back. No questions asked. People love that. People love not having the hassle. Then you go into many other stores. They have hassle. Well, when did you buy it? How long ago did you buy it? Well, did you use it the way you were intended to? Right? It's like 50 questions. Nobody likes that. 
before you know it, right, people aren't going to shop there anymore. And so, again, focusing on that end user is going to be the thing, right? And so, you know, as a leader, oftentimes there's two things. There's two things to focus on because you're going to focus on your end user, right, which is going to be whoever your customers are. But there's also the focusing on there's the external customer versus the internal customer. And many people get this wrong. Again, they look at it and say the end customer is going to be the shareholders. If you think about it that way, that may have worked in previous times. Looking at it in today's times, there's a very big growing trend that the internal customer is the employees. Because again, if you can have, you know, look at it again from the end user, well, your end user is going to be your, your customer, your internal customers are going to be your employees. If you, if you never had to worry about employees showing up, right? Same thing with, with having, um, you know, on Amazon, right? Having Amazon, people ordering from Amazon. If you never had to worry about customers, then you can worry about other stuff, right? Then you can worry about if your customers are happy, they're always going to buy from you. There's always going to be that demand. Then you can worry about, hey, how do we maybe make things more efficient? You know, what other problems can we solve? But if you oh, if you can tackle the hardest problem, which is customers and cash flow, then it's a done deal. You'll have a great job at, at running business. And so Facebook recently, there was a documentary that was done I want to say it was Netflix. I can't remember. So don't quote me on this, but it was a social dilemma. And there was a lot of talk around how Facebook right now has arguably been focusing on the customers as being the advertisers and not necessarily the end user, right? When Facebook and all these social media platforms had started, it was great because the end user, the customers, the people, whether it was from college, connecting with people, um, people connecting with family, long lost family, friends that had moved away, right? And there was that connection and people were feel, you know, feeding and feeling that. Then there was sort of this transition and the, and the documentary kind of talks about that. There was a shift in now there's so much aimed at trying to keep you on the site longer. And how all the algorithms and the AI is really built and designed to try to keep you on all these programs longer and longer, keeping your attention versus maybe trying to help you be connected and find different ways to connect with more people. It's trying to connect. It's trying to force you to watch more videos and consume and more or less focus on consumerism instead of connectivity. And so it'll be interesting to see how the social media platforms play out, right? Because it, things can either change, not change, stay the course, not stay the course, and companies will either grow or die. You, you're already seeing a big trend where people are just getting fed up and starting to uninstall Facebook, starting to uninstall some of these apps because they're just getting fed up with the drama, the lies, the fake news, all that stuff that's getting promoted on them. So uh, that's that'll be a real world trend that we can look at as time goes on that says, how do we, you know, how do we see this play out in real life? Amazon is doing that, right? Jeff's doing that with Amazon. Facebook is another one where could go good, could go bad. You know, we'll kind of see. But really, that's that's sort of piece number two, which is focusing and knowing the difference between customers and competitors. Are you making the decisions based on 
if I develop this technology or I go down this path or I try to get into this market segment, am I doing it for the end user or am I trying to gain market share so that I feel like I'm going to beat out my competitor? I'm going to be number one or number two, right? It's, it's, it's just a different way of thinking. And in that thinking is going to either be the winning or the not winning. It's going to take you and your company to new heights or not. And, and frankly, as a leader, because again, Leadership is going to be the end all be all where you're keeping people happy, you're keeping customers happy, you're doing things in the growing space within the business and the corporate, you know, on the business or on the family side, again, we can look at all the stuff through that lens, which is, you know, looking at the end user. So the relationship with maybe your spouse, right? What is it that you can do to make her, him or her the happiest, right? To make the relationship the strongest, right? Is it, is, are you just doing this because it's, it's allowing you to be not single and that's the thing that's keeping you going, you know, you're trying to do everything to, to not be single, or are you trying to do something for your spouse that's going to elevate the relationship, right? Are you listening more? Are you showing up more? Are you listening to the things that maybe they're having a hard time with and maybe leading the household in a new direction, right? If it's the winters are too cold and, you know, we just don't like being here, right? That may be what your, sp your spouse is saying, looking at it and saying, maybe it's time to move, right? Again, am I making decisions based on trying to not be single or am I trying to make decisions that is allowing me to have the best relationship possible, right? To have an ROI that's 50, you know, 50% ROI because my, us moving to a new location is going to bring so much more happiness into our lives that it's absolutely worth it. Right now I'm throwing in that business jargon just, just for kicks, but there's, there's a lot of truth in that. What is it that you're doing today and how is it necessarily affecting the relationship in the place that you're trying to lead? And so the other one of the, the final things that I, I like to touch on and this um, this is something that is is interesting because Jeff, again, in one of the bio or biographies or, or different things that I read on Jeff, he says this, but this isn't the only this isn't groundbreaking or earth shattering because I hear this all the time. But most of our regrets are acts of omission. The other things that we didn't try is the path untraveled. Those are the things that haunt us. Now, again, from a leadership standpoint, look at your look at the things that you're leading in your life. Yourself. Let's start with there. What are the things maybe you are not doing? The omission, the acts of omission, the things that you didn't try, the path that's untraveled. What are those things? And again, maybe that's something that you decide to say, maybe I want to change direction, right? Maybe that's going to be something that I want to be a better leader at. Because I want to lead myself to be better. Could be maybe not focusing on health sooner. That's always a major regret. I always like to learn from others. And one of the major regrets that I see is people not focusing on their health sooner. People waiting until they're maybe 40s, 50s, or even 60s. And then saying, and then starting to get wise to the fact of knowing what added sugars mean knowing what different vitamins mean, knowing and understanding macronutrients and how the fats and proteins and oils and carbs and sugars all 
you know, work together and maybe the different nutrition from vitamins and how different vitamins plays off each other, right? If they wait until that point and they say that was a major regret because now I'm being told I have to go do this because I'm, I'm diabetic, let's say, versus maybe when they were younger and they had choice, right? Acts of omission, things that they didn't try, the path that they didn't travel. Those are going to be the things that haunt them. So they're going to say, what if, right? What if I would have focused on my health earlier? Maybe I wouldn't have been in this scenario. Uh, it can be within the relationship. Again, we talked about having a relationship that is keeping you in the relationship, keeping you from being single, or are you trying to play a relationship, you know, play within the relationship or lead the relationship to be the best relationship that you can have with your partner, to be the relationship that's not, you know, what am I doing to barely, you know, get by? What is it that the relationship is going to light us both up? You know, who is it that you need to be so that your spouse is over the moon, right? And again, if you want to put this into business context, because maybe you're just a business type mindset and your customer is your spouse and they keep coming back as a return customer, what is it that you can do for them that will always make them want to come back? Now, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. But when you do look at it that way, you start saying, well, maybe if I'm being grouchy all the time, they don't want to come back like they're they're staying because of, of obligation versus maybe the want or desire. Same thing with, you know, with companies, right? If you could only buy from from one company that maybe you just stay there and buy from the company, even though you may be unhappy. But if you had 20 different options, you would start to settle for less. So you'd want to, again, what can you do to help make sure that your spouse is always going to come back? Right. That, that you never even have to worry about the potential of of rocky patch or rough road or divorce or, or separation. And again, looking at regret, looking at those who have regrets, people who often get into divorces, they say, I let my relationship go too long before I started to take notice of it before I started actually caring and started to actually realize that the person that I started out the relationship with is no longer the person that I was up until the point of divorce. So again, from a leadership standpoint, how do you want to lead? You, you are a leader, whether you choose to believe so or not, you are a leader in every aspect of your life. If you're not getting something that you really want out of life, it's because your leadership it's the same thing for a company that, that falls apart. It has nothing to do, you know, company culture, all those other things that people point to. It's the leader, right? It's the leader, whether it's a small team, whether it's a large team, whether it's regardless of, of any organization, it's always the leader that always sets the tone. Because the leader sets the culture, the leader sets the what are going to be the boundaries, how are we going to move, how are we going to operate, what is it that we want to focus on, right? These are all decisions that leaders make. And it can be the same thing within the, you know, family relationships or business relationships. You know, that's something that, that Amber and I, my wife, we always talk about, right? There's not one leader versus the other. We both lead. There's just different things that we lead better at. She doesn't really like money. She just, she, she's, she's always had a hard time. She can do it if she wants to, right? But if, if she doesn't, then she, it's not something that really lights her up. It lights me up. So I lead in that area when it comes to, you know, planning out and making the house or where do we want to live? That's all. That's all Amber. That's up in her camp, her, her creativity. She loves being creative, 
right? It's in large vision, large visioning that's that has Amber written all over it. Execution is more more my game. But knowing and understanding and realizing that who's going to be the leader in which situation and how there's different times, you know, there's many a times where Amber and I both lead. Raising our daughter, there's very much times where we lead and say, how is it that we want to show up for Lily? What are the boundaries that we want to set up in the household? What's the vision? Where do we want to go? Right? What kind of education do we want for our daughter? These are all questions. Again, leadership from a stance or a lens of the household. When it comes to the leadership that I have for myself, right, within physical fitness, if, if there's times where I, and I have, where I've w- woken up and I feel kind of stiff and tired and, and exhausted, I realize there's something missing, right? It's time for me to lead. It's time for me to start making decisions and start putting together what that, what that landscape needs to be. What's that North Star? Where do I want to go? How do I want to show up? And it's through that that then starts to lay out the exercise plan, the stretching, the nutrition, right? Owning, owning and understanding what all pieces goes into it. And so, you know, with that, try it out. Uh, I'm excited that we're starting season three. And until next time, have a wonderful rest of your day and keep moving forward. Did you know that eight out of 10 men are living a life that they wish was better? I believe living an exceptional life means unlearning everything that we've been taught and dropping the shoulds immediately. Which is why I created a brand new ebook titled Coaching Secrets, How to Break Out of Ordinary and Live an Exceptional Life. I wanna show you the mindsets, strategy, and tactics you need to live the life you were meant to be so that you can step into the vision that you have for yourself but maybe haven't taken action. And the best part about it, it's yours absolutely free. To get your copy, head on over to manofclass.com forward slash coaching secrets and you can start living that life right now.